Hey, I'm Mason King, host of the IBJ Podcast. And before we get into this week's episode, I want to tell you about the newest podcast from IBJ Media called Off the Record with the Indiana 250. In each episode, IBJ Media CEO Nate Feldman talks with a different leader on the Indiana 250 list of the state's most influential leaders. They discuss their vision for Indiana's future, their experiences in business, and their advice for other aspiring entrepreneurs. New episodes are released on select Thursdays. So go subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform so you can never miss an episode. Just search the Indiana 250 off the record. Thanks. This is the IBJ podcast for the week of October the 2nd, 2023, brought to you by Taft. I'm your host, Mason King. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. It's virtually impossible to drive around any major or mid-sized city in America without seeing a store that's either owned or franchised by Fisher's based company, Round Room. It's actually the fifth largest private company in Indiana, as measured by revenue, $2.27 billion in 2022. But you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone who could tell you what Round Room is or does, although a decent number of people might make the connection to the musical inspiration for the name. You could say that Scott Moorhead, Round Room's 45-year-old owner and CEO, is in the connections business. Roundroom is the holding company for TCC, which is one of the largest Verizon retailers in the United States, and Wireless Zone, one of the nation's largest wireless retail franchise systems in the U.S., and also a Verizon authorized dealer. Together, they count about 1,260 stores in 43 states. Another one of Moorhead's main preoccupations is finding ways for workers to feel connected to their employers beyond the need for a paycheck. To that end, Roundroom has given its employees the ability to grant millions of dollars per year to not-for-profit groups of their choice. And another firm under the Roundroom umbrella provides consulting services for employers who want to strengthen their company cultures by finding the soul if you will, of their enterprises. Here's another move out of left field that makes a certain sense to Moorhead via his expertise in the retail industry. He and his wife, Julia, sniffed out cannabis as a simpatico business opportunity and dove in after Michigan legalized it for adult recreational use. Founded in 2020, Stash Ventures is a vertically integrated provider with indoor growing operations, a processing facility, and several retail dispensaries. Moorhead also has been lobbying Indiana legislators to take the leap and legalize marijuana use, seeing big growth opportunities in the sector. In this week's edition of the IBJ podcast, Moorhead lays out his journey as an entrepreneur, first buying out his parents in their family-owned company and guiding it through a decade of staggering growth in the wireless industry. He also details how he uses philanthropy to help define Roundroom, as well as his hopes for expanding Stash Ventures. Here's our conversation. I'm pleased to welcome to the podcast Scott Moorhead, owner and CEO of Roundroom. 
He also is founder, owner, and chief executive officer of Stash Ventures. Excited to be here. Thank you for coming. <laughs> okay, I'm going to list the top five companies in IBJ's 2023 list of largest Indiana private companies. Spoiler alert, you're fifth. <laughs> Number one, Do It Best Corp, which is the hardware retailer. Mm -hmm. Number two, Steel Warehouse Company, which surprisingly processes and warehouses steel. Number three, One America Financial Partners, which I think everybody knows offers life insurance and retirement products. Its name is on the second tallest building in downtown. Number four is Cook Group, which is well known for making medical device products. It's been around at least for 50 years in Indiana. I suspect if I asked 100 people in Indiana if they knew what a round room was, which is fifth on the list, at least 99 would have no idea. What is the origin of the name? And does it concern you or are you concerned at all with like your profile uh, in corporate Indiana? So we're going to skip straight to, to the real questions, right? So where did the name Round Room come from? That's a, that's a terribly long answer, but I'm going to try and shorten it for you. Okay. And so uh, we started as Moorhead Electric. That was my grandfather's company. That quickly transitioned to electrical contracting, so it became Moorhead Electric. And that transitioned into a local area networking organization that dealt with phones. And that was Moorhead Communications. <laughs> <laughs> and and so when uh, my brother and I bought uh, the company from my parents, which my dad had bought it from his father, um, we had kind of gotten to the point where we were tired of the name Moorhead being drug along with it. It was so big and there were so many people that were helping make this company really special that we wanted to decentralize the name. And... We're also fans of this band called Fish. So uh, we're hippies at, at our core. And so we're, we're jam band guys. And so uh, we wanted our company named after a fish song. You're joking. This is not, I did not know. This is 100% true. Oh my God. And so we, we went through the list of fish songs and tried to figure out what made sense. And, you know, our company sitting in a round room sort of was symbolic of this. Uh, Sir Lancelot, like where everybody put their swords down on the table and everybody was equidistant from the center. And so we said, you know what? Round Room works. So let's just call it Round Room. And, and there you have it. So that was. So wait, is there a fish song called Round Room? There certainly is. Oh my God, sorry, I don't know that. <laughs> There's a whole album called Round Room. Really? Actually, that's so. a total blank spot. I have a blind spot for fish. I'm sorry to have to say No, that. that's okay. A lot of people do. And so it's it was our way of uh, taking our name away from it and incorporating uh, the employees into the experience, which I think we're going to talk a lot about today. Okay. So in terms of name recognition in Indiana, is that a concern of yours at all? Um, not really. Uh, we've been really successful being under the radar. Um, we've started in Marion, Indiana. A lot of people don't visit Marion, Indiana. We ended up having to move out of Marion, Indiana uh, and move down into Carmel. Still nobody knew who we were. And we were able to continue to hire great people. And once they got into the building and, and they would admittedly tell us it felt like family. And so, you know, we were never concerned with the public persona. And I think part of that is because our business is not just in Indiana, it's also elsewhere. So we have a lot of customers. 
because we're in wireless. So we sell cell phones. You know, we're, our core partnership is with Verizon Wireless. Everybody knows who Verizon Wireless is. And the less they need to know about us, the better. So, you know, because we don't have to have this really great persona here, we just need to be known as an employer of choice so that we can hire great people. And we've done a really good job of that. So you're currently headquartered in Fishers. That's correct. Uh, in a about 190,000 square foot building that Round Room purchased, was it two or three years ago? Yeah, just right before the pandemic, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we did construction during the pandemic. So that was our way of keeping the economy economy stimulated. <laughs> God bless you. That's wonderful. Right. And it's like $14 million, I think, purchase of the building, which yeah. is what we reported at the time. And you moved in in 2021, which was right in the, I mean, right when everyone was very anxious about, well, do we work at home or do we work at work or both or not? Yeah, right. Right, when a, lot, guys, yeah, right when a lot of big company CEOs said the office place was dead. <laughs> yes. Yes. What did you guys decide to do? Um, we we did um, essentially uh, this hybrid situation where we let people be at home if they wanted to be. Um, we were lucky enough to have launched collaboration software that a lot of people were unfamiliar with before the pandemic ever started. So we were uh, totally familiar with people being offsite, being in other states working through collaboration, working through video, um, working from home wasn't a big deal. And part of that was because the culture was so tight knit, we all knew each other. Hiring new employees and integrating them into this culture of satellite work didn't work. Um, so we continued a slow push towards getting back to the office. And by 2022, we were full back. And so now we're a little bit hybrid. You can take a day or two if you want. Most people choose to come in though. It's And it's part of it is because it feels like home to a lot of people. It's a home away from home. I'll just go ahead and ask now, how do you make uh, an office feel like home? I mean, you were in, the, the space was formerly a, a, a medical office building. It was a Roche building, I think, and it might have been some laboratory space. I mean, I've, I've worked at IBJ for eight, 18 years. Uh, I love the people who work here, but this does not feel like a home to me. How do you make <laughs> your place feel like a home? Well, even, even when we were in Marion, it felt like home. And home isn't necessarily about your surroundings as much as it's about the people you're with. And so it has everything to do with the culture of our company, uh, hiring the right people to be on the bus, uh, making sure everybody has really strong attitude and, um, you know, maintaining that with ferocious consistency, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, uh, never letting your foot off of the gas of building the, the right corporate culture and um, never deviating. So, you know, we did uh, take this big, scary medical building and gut it. And my wife and uh, some of the designers did a really good job of creating rooms so every department has their own room. They've got couches. They've got places that makes it sort of feel like you can hang out and work, work from home. Are they all around? Are they all around? Are they all around? Are they all around? No. <laughs> no, no, but we do have a slide. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, so we, we, we do have a slide. That was my one promise to everybody that if we were going to bust us up into two floors, because we had always been on a single floor, that I'd make a really easy way to get from the second to the first. <laughs> And so we held up our end of the bargain. There's a fireplace, 
there's all sorts of fun things that makes it feel like home. But really, it's less about the surroundings and more about the people. How many people are based out of the headquarters building? I'd say there's around 225 that are based out of the, the corporate headquarters. Uh, we have half of it. So, you know, the other half of this 190,000 square foot building has been leased out to uh, biomedical companies and, and they are our neighbors and we've sort of adopted them as, as part of the family. But, um, you know, 225 people work out of there and, and we are known as store support, <laughs> not, not corporate headquarters. We changed that a long time ago. We are there to make sure that the people out in the field can do their job really well. Gotcha. Let me try to wrap my arms around the round room. Uh, Let's do it. It's a holding company for at least four major entities. You have TCC, mm -hmm. AKA the Cellular Connection, which is, help me out with this. Is it the largest Verizon retailer in the United States or one of the largest? One of. And there are, I don't know, 700, 800 of them? There's a little over 600 TCCs right okay. now. Yeah. Gotcha. All across the country. And then are these company-owned stores? They are. Okay. Mm -hmm. So as a consumer, does it look like the stores are branded TCC or the cellular connection, or does it just say Verizon outside? It looks just like a Verizon store. So I say to my wife, I need to go to the Verizon store. Yep. And I go to the Verizon store. It could be- A TCC. A TCC. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. Right. Okay. I got it. Mm-hmm. The second entity is Wireless Zone, mm -hmm. which is one of the nation's largest wireless Retail franchise franchise systems. Yes, uh, in the U.S., also a Verizon authorized dealer. Uh, I I feel like I know what franchises are, but just what is quickly the, the difference? Uh, we we are just the franchisor in that situation, and we uh, work and operate with owners of their own stores, and and we guide them through the process, and we sort of provide air cover to Verizon for them within the relationship that we have set up. So, so if I wanted to own a store uh -huh. uh, in my in my neighborhood yes uh, i could approach you and say i want to be and we'd make I sure you were darn successful right so you guys help me <laughs> be successful i own the store but you that's the franchise that's store. correct okay and again about 600 or so yeah a little over nationwide that. yep okay the third entity is redux mm-hmm i i'm a little less certain about how to describe redux <laughs> uh Redux is uh, was born out of actually, uh, I believe, uh, an awards that you guys put on here at IBJ Media. It was the Technology Awards of some sort, and uh, I was on my tenth uh, anniversary trip with my wife. Pulled it up at the eight at eight email, and clicked on through it, and found in these awards uh, a machine that claim to fix water damaged portable consumer electronics. And I was like, well, I deal with a lot of water damaged portable consumer <laughs> electronics. And if you guys are serious, I need to talk to you. <laughs> so, um, so we called and, and made that uh, connection and ultimately ended up partnering with the, the inventors of this technology who had a patent and you know, ended up with a majority of the equity and have continued to grow that business. And what it does is it actually does 
It uses vacuum drying technology to remove moisture from a cell phone that's been dropped in water or washed or Lord knows what, but it got wet. Even though they claim that they're water resistant, I have yet to meet somebody that doesn't have a crack in their phone. (laughs) Uh, We sold you a case, we sold you a screen protector, but you still have a crack, which makes your phone no more water resistant than anything that it was before. So we've actually taken that technology and moved it into hearing devices. So now we're working with audiologists and we're working with companies that manufacture hearing aids and we are helping people by drying their hearing aids out. And so it's, we've found an incredible marketplace for the technology, uh, continuing to grow it and, and being really successful at it. The fourth entity is culture of good. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to open up the floor here. Tell me about culture of good. Culture of good is, um, was born out of practice. Um, and it is a consulting organization that walks other organizations through building their corporate culture and finding their soul. (laughs) (laughs) The soul of the corporation. The soul of the corporation, because we feel like that's where your corporate culture starts and ends. Every company has a soul. Every company has a purpose. Every company is trying to solve a problem. Every company is trying to do good. And so when you do good and, and you involve your employees, you can create this really vivid culture where you bring everybody along for the ride and they feel like they have purpose. And so this is a unique way of doing corporate consulting in the, in the culture space um, where we've just found a niche and we're really good at it. And it's something that's helped our own company be really successful. And, uh, you know, we've done this in a very, philanthropic way where we've put a a special carve out for philanthropy and how to integrate it into the employee experience, uh, make it unique and individual. Um, And every company can do it a little bit differently, but every company can do it. But when you talk about companies and culture and social responsibility, you get typically siloed approaches and our approach is more merging all of those things. (laughs) And so it becomes difficult for a lot of organizations to pull off. Um, So we, we hold their hands and and we guide them through. We've got a process. Uh, It's been vetted out. We've been successful with several different companies. Uh, We're now training culture champions, uh, putting them through classes and and sending them out to do the work of culture of good on their own. Um, And it's not necessarily about making tons of money as much as it is making an impact. Who approaches you for this kind of service? A CEO who feels like we really kind of have lost our way. We don't, I, I can't define what our culture is. Um, I started this company to, to make money and now it's a bigger thing. And, and, and then they think, you know, I just, I just need help figuring out who we are so I can tell our employees <laughs> who we are. There's a, there's a, there's some of that, you know, yeah. it's, it's typically the small to medium sized business. Sometimes we've worked with large chains of hotels, large chains of distribution centers, lots of different companies, but uh, the person who will typically reach out to us first is the head of HR. And so that's where that's where it typically starts. But we need the executive leadership to buy in. Um, without their sponsorship and without their belief, 
this thing falls apart. And we've seen that. So we've actually turned down as many customers as we've taken on because we can't get the executive sponsorship. We just won't work with them. I have so many questions. I have so many <laughs> epistemological questions. Like, how do you how do you find a company's soul? I mean, I, I assume you have to consult the employees. I always think about, yeah. you know, the soul of a company really is the amalgamation of all the employees' souls and, and and how they feel about the company. Am I close? You you, you are, and it's it's a mixture of how the because let me step back. We've def, I've defined culture as what most of your employees are doing most of the time when you're not paying attention. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, that's, that's really the, what the culture is. And so you've got that, you've got the employees and how they feel in their heart, both in work and out of work. And then you've got the company and what problems it's trying to solve, what its corporate strategy is, because you can't do good if you can't make money. So if, if all these things can work interchangeably and you can uncover where are these uh, diagrams sort of all convergent circles where they all meet and you've got this center point, that's the soul of the company. And, and you have to recruit to it, hire to it, put your policies together around it. Right. That's the, the practical side of that is once you discover the yeah. pinpoint, the soul, then you need to organize the company around the soul. Correct. Right. And it took us the better part of a decade to uncover ours. Yeah, how did that work for you guys? Oh, gosh. Well, it started <laughs> It started with uh, my relationship with Ryan McCarty, who uh, co-wrote the Culture of Good book with me. And so he, he got hired on by me. Um, I was on a journey as the CEO of a growing company to figure out how to keep employees that were a long way away from Marion, Indiana, bought into what we were doing. Yeah, all the, the stores across 43 yes, states. Yeah, you know, we were getting into Arizona and the state of Washington and upstate New York. And, and I'm, you know, it was much easier when I could drive to every store. But then, you know, once you can't see the employees every day, they don't get to hear your voice every day. This is before Zoom and Teams and all that. You know, how do, how do they get bought in? You know, how, and, and I was like, well, if they Google us, what are they even going to find? Because again, our profile right. just wasn't huge. You know, they knew who Verizon was, but they're like, why should I go work for this company? Yeah. So how, why are you better than AT&T? Why are yeah, you better than Sprint? Exactly. So um, I wanted em engaged employees. I wanted happy employees. And uh, my mom, who uh, urges me often to go to church, had found a church in Marion she wanted me to go to. And it was Ryan's church. He was a pastor. Uh, she said, this guy's got tattoos and earrings and spiked hair and a beard and he's really fun. And, and she was trying to sell me on this church experience, telling me it wasn't typical. Uh, Scott likes to be unique, right? So, so that's, that's where she tried to sell me. So I show up and that day that I show up, the first message that Ryan has is, does your why equal your what? And, you know, I'm on this journey at work about how to get people happy, how to make them more engaged, how to believe in what I'm saying. And his message about does your why equal your what really struck me. And I was so sort of taken back by that and how it was almost felt like it was for me. And, uh, you know, so at the end of 
this church, I walked up to him and was like, hey, man, I would really appreciate it if we could go have lunch sometime. He didn't know me. He didn't know who I was. He didn't know what I did. And he was like, sure, let's do it. <laughs> and I'm like, pastors are like that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, because I, maybe because I said it with a smile, maybe if I didn't have a smile, he would have, who knows. And it just seemed to be this event that was destined to happen. So over uh, a nice basket of chips and salsa, we decided to work together. Um, he, and then slowly but surely, his heart for people and his desire to want them to find purpose and meaning in life merged with my ability to be sort of this corporate psychologist and uh, general director of operation. <laughs> uh, and, and we found this really special way of connecting with employees from afar and seeing the world through their eyes and understanding from the bottom up and from the inside out how to involve them and how to let them be heard and how to let them have an opinion and how to bring them into the fold and involve them in all of our dealings. And those programs started to layer on top of each other and it started to become really meaningful. And now we've got employee-sponsored grants and we've got all of these wonderful ways for our employees to really show up to work and their why is present mm -hmm. because their what is a paycheck. <laughs> right. That's what they show up for, but why? And so they are able to bring their why to, to work. And so they're, they're on values, if you will. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And we haven't squashed any of that. And that was before diversity, equity, inclusion. We've brought that along to the party and really focused on that. We've got some exciting stuff that we've just done through our employee resource groups that I hope we get to talk about, <laughs> which is part of our culture of good. Let me, uh, we'll back up and we'll get to it in a sec. So we talked quite a bit about already the the family connection to the company and so you and your brother bought the company from your parents we did and i'll say we sort of lightly um yeah. I, I i leaned in a little bit more than he did gotcha um my parents were bought out in 2008 okay um so i've been ceo nearly as long as my dad was which oh, is wow. which is kind of odd to do that math <laughs> okay so from 2008 to 2018, a lot happened. <laughs> so, and we and we and we wrote, I think, a front page story about it. Ron went through a decade of incredible growth, about 1,400 percent increase in annual revenue. So, by 2018, uh, you had 2,400 employees, and revenue had grown to about two billion dollars for your 2017 financial year. That's a lot. That's crazy. What was happening, if you can kind of distill that, what was behind all that growth? Wow. So there's multiple factors to all that growth. There was the introduction of the smartphone, which meant that we went from selling something that was $125 to something that's now over $1,000. So that was sort of organically included in some of that growth. There was just the amount of locations that Verizon was asking us to put up and cover because they were so happy with our partnership. Uh, we were asking 
them for growth opportunities. And they were saying, well, there's this state, you know, it's wide open, do what you want. There's this state, go do what you want. Or there's this business of underperforming stores. We'd love it if you'd call them and see if they might be for sale. <laughs> wink, <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> yeah, right. So it, it, it was our ability to deliver on our promise. And that's one of our core values is do what you say you're going to do. Um, we would always make, you know, fairly aggressive promises, but then we'd always deliver. And the Verizons of the world love that type of partnership. Um, we were really good at following their rules, working within the system and just crushing it. So we, you know, and, and we set aggressive goals. That's my style. Um, everybody will tell you that I set incredibly hard to reach goals. And then I work very hard to make people believe they can get there. And we were doing a lot of that. Um, and it was just one thing after another. And we were only growing as fast as we could without taking on investors. We didn't take on a lot of debt, kept the balance sheet very strong. Um, so we were just doing it through delivering our earnings back into the company and growing it. So since 2018, the growth has leveled off. The Slowed, for sure. So the revenue is at $2.27 billion Correct. Uh, in 2022. And you have actually 400 fewer employees than you did in 2017. Yeah. So what has been happening in the space? What has been the cause of that, of the leveling? Well, part of that is just the industry in general. Um, there's been a, a small pullback in brick and mortar, uh, slightly bigger focus to, towards online, which we participate in unique ways with Verizon. Um, we, we become sort of uh, inventory hubs for them where people go pick up their online order. It's been a great partnership that way. We don't feel left out of the online revolution. And Verizon, oddly enough, has gone from 800 partners that did exactly what we do over that time period to now they have only 16. And so there's been an incredible amount of consolidation. Verizon as a whole has about 15% less brick and mortar stores than they did at the time. Um, but our store count has stayed fairly close to the same. Right. So you have a lot of stores. And, and we do have a lot of stores. And we also have gotten really good at uh, staffing them appropriately and giving the hours that we, we, we need to be efficient for the consumers. And so the hours are consolidated. The, the staffing efficiency is there. The systems have improved. So we need less people to create the same or better experience. And people are making more money by doing so. So that's it's been a win-win for everybody to see that level off and the employee count come down just a little bit. What are the prospects for more growth? Well, there's still uh, 16 partners. There may not be 16 over the next five, 10 years. There may be, they may cut it down to five. So, um, and that won't be from needing less stores. And I think the pie is pretty much the pie right now. We may just get a bigger piece of it. Gotcha. Um, so we'll continue to keep our head down, do what we do, set hard goals to reach and just crush it. Tracing our conversation back to what we were talking about, part of the employee retention and recruitment uh, prong is uh, philanthropy. Correct. Now ex explain to me how that works in Round Room. Oh gosh. How much time do we have, Mason? Well, <laughs> let's start the clock in five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll we'll go. Um, 
in, in, a, in a couple different directions. So we've incorporated philanthropy in sort of multiple tiers. And it started with um, a, a, a corporate curated event. So Ryan and I's very first philanthropic event was one that employees didn't have to think about too much. They just had to show up. And so we did our very first backpack giveaway where we gave away backpacks, school supplies um, on, a, on a single day. Every one of our stores participated. And I think the very first year we gave away 45,000 backpacks in, a, in about an hour. We did that and they showed up and they said, okay, that was fun maybe the best day of my career the kids didn't have to buy anything you know they didn't get any coupons to come back you know we just wanted the community to show up and say this place actually is just giving away backpacks and they care about us and that was the message that we started to layer in and then we started to give folks paid time off to go be a part of organizations in their community and and to go donate their hours and be a part of their community and, and connect and integrate. And then um, we integrated our nonprofit, which um, we did in two different ways. We did the one where we're giving away grants. And these are every grant that our nonprofit gives away has to have an employee sponsor. And the employee, if they have a connection to the nonprofit and they donate their time, they're almost assured to get some portion of the grant request. These grants go all the way between zero and $10,000. Um, and so these employees are giving away more money than they ever would have imagined or they ever could on their own. Um, and we do it on their behalf. We send them the check, they give away the check, has nothing to do with us. And so it's it's a lot of fun for the employees. So the Round Room has within it uh, a foundation. Round Room, give, <clears throat> round room Gives. Round Room Gives, okay. Yep. And so, and I'm a, I work uh, at one of your stores in Indianapolis. I'm like, I really care about teacher's treasures. Uh, I go there and I, and I help out. And then I have an opportunity th that year to request a grant for them every quarter every quarter every quarter okay yeah and then uh chances are pretty good that that yeah. the grant will come through and i can go to teacher's treasures do i get a big check or is it just a little check you get a big check <laughs> i get a big check yeah, they, get a, they get a little check but you as the employee get a big I get check, the big check. <laughs> that's and, incredible and that's a, amazing and a lot of our employees hang those up in the store and then the other consumers that come in, they see, wow, that's a local nonprofit. You guys are helping locally. We really love that. Um, and it's started this whole uh, hyper local, you know, uh, charitable giving. And so we have a, an, another nonprofit, which is a public charity of 501c3 uh, called More Than a Phone. And so More Than a Phone helps uh, victims of domestic violence. And so we are partnering with shelters all across the company or country, mainly where we have our brick and mortar Verizon locations and we give them phones that are loaded with service. And so this is not just a, a phone to dial 911. This is a fresh start. And so they get a, their own new phone number, their own new data plan, their own service. And they get that for, I believe, four months to, to sort of start over. And so that has become uh, something near and dear to a lot of our employees' hearts. They support it locally. We support it centrally through our call center where we activate these phones. 
Uh, we get a lot of the phones donated to us by our partnerships. We've leveraged our position in the wireless industry to really make this easy for a lot of people that are in desperate need of starting over. And so it's been a really, really fulfilling venture. Okay, let's take a quick break so we can hear from our sponsor. This is the IBJ Podcast. Taft, today's modern law firm, with more than 800 attorneys in eight primary Midwest markets and the District of Columbia, we provide solutions to the business issues facing middle market and emerging companies alike. We do this through a highly collaborative and inclusive team approach. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. All right. We're back with this week's edition of the IBJ Podcast and my conversation with Scott Moorhead of Roundroom and Stash Ventures. In terms of the grants, uh, the figure that I saw, let's just take 2022. Um, Roundroom employees nominated close to 600 organizations to receive funding and $4.8 million was distributed to those organizations and causes. Is that right? I would say that's fairly accurate. Do you have any sense of of what the total amount of grants over the the life of this program has been? I don't off the top of my head. uh, I don't keep that number. Uh, You know, it's not about the the volume for me as much as it's about every employee that gets the opportunity to hear their, have their voice heard. Can we please talk about our mega grant real quick? Oh yeah, go ahead. Because yeah. I don't, I don't want to. I want to take this opportunity and not miss out because it was really special for us. Yeah, please. Um, so we talked about our employee experience and how our philanthropy is involved with our employees, and you know we've been really good at creating this family environment. Well, part of that has been our employee resource groups, which a lot of companies do have, but we think we do it better, just like everything. <laughs> uh, We had an opportunity this year where we had a surplus um, in our grant money. And so the company actually far outpaced our expectations in 2022. And so we didn't give away all the grant money uh, through the employee requests. So we decided to take each one of our core groups, our core employee resource groups, we had them, all of the people who are part of them all over the country come together and nominate uh, one finalist for what we called the mega grant, which the mega grant uh, culminated at our annual sales event where we brought in all of our district managers from all over the country. And each employee resource group not interviewed local Indianapolis nonprofits, nominated one finalist, and then the Round Room Gives board did interviews with all of these local nonprofits. And then we were going to give out $100,000 grant. Well, that quickly changed. We told a bit of a fib to our employees. It wasn't $100,000 grant. All seven of the recipients got not only a $100,000 grant, they each got a $60,000 car to, to, to have because we saw a need where all of them had transportation issues. And then on top of that, the real mega grant was the, the remainder of the surplus. And we handed out a $580,000 grant to a local nonprofit culminating in $1.7 million given away 
in one event to seven local Indianapolis nonprofits. The result coming out of that has been incredible. It has given substantiation to the, some of these nonprofits. They've said, you know what, within the nonprofit world, you put us on the map and we're able to find new donors and we're able to have credibility and we're able to get our feet under us and we're able to focus. And I'm a big fan of entrepreneur operating system, which is a operating system that, that a lot of business owners use. I ran through personally with each one of these nonprofits building their strategy in the entrepreneur operating system. And they're like, not only do we have money, not only do we have donors that are wanting to give to us, but we have a plan. And so we, we took this opportunity to let our employees choose for us who they wanted to represent. And then we used our resources to really fuel the fire, to move the ball forward. And we think we're going to help thousands and thousands of underprivileged people in this in this city, right here in Indianapolis. So you've built big company, <laughs> fifth largest company in the state, incredible corporate culture, culture of philanthropy. Um, I assume that, that it takes a good amount of time. Yeah. And so, and then on top of that, you have another company <laughs> that we have not talked about yet. That is accurate. <laughs> <laughs> and that is Stash Ventures. Stash and, Ventures. And that is separate from the Round Room. That is very much, very separate, very separate from Round Room. <laughs> Tell us what Stash Ventures is. Stash Ventures was a, a, a new project that my wife and I took on. We started this in 2019 and we decided to jump into the world of cannabis. And so we uh, took careful uh, inventory of what we thought we were good at. That took about five minutes and then uh, decided to figure out what we wanted to do to sort of broaden our um, asset base. And so we had time on our hands uh, to do something else and wanted to have a little fun. And so we decided to fill out an application in the state of Michigan to be a distributor uh, for cannabis. Uh, they had just put it on the ballot in Michigan, which is different than the constitution here. The, the constituency voted to be uh, a recreational state for cannabis, uh, but it wasn't in place yet. So you had to start through their medical program, which was quite complicated and costly to get involved with. Uh, we decided to pull the trigger, fill out the application. State of Michigan said yes. We were like, oh, crap. Uh, we sell weed. <laughs> <laughs> and, okay. and, and so, yeah, then then the whole thing started. And we started this business from scratch, yeah. um, from nothing, from from Indianapolis. And, and so those interviews were interesting. Uh, we're vertically integrated now. We have our own grow. So we have three different grow sites where we grow cannabis. We have a in Michigan. in Michigan. All everything we do is in right. Michigan, and and there's reasons for that, uh, mainly because it's legal there <laughs> to to be part of that business. Um, we have a processing facility where we make our own consumer packaged goods, vape cartridges, gummies, mints lotions, things like that. Uh, and then we have dispensaries. So we are completely vertically integrated. We're a, a big part of that uh, Michigan industry. Um, having a lot of fun. Got a lot of growth uh, planned in that business. We're 
But yeah, all of us have had over the course of our lives, varying degrees of interest in cannabis. Yeah. I, I just hope you can appreciate, I mean, how unusual it is. <laughs> uh, number one, I mean, for somebody who's out of state. Yeah. To think, okay, no, I have this interest in cannabis. Define interest. I mean, we thought this is this would just be a cool, fun industry to be a part of. Let's see where we can do it. Well, when when Julie and I, uh, my wife Julie and I, were taking inventory of what we were good at, we've been in the retail business for a long time, um, and so we wanted to find something that, again, no pun intended, but had greenfield opportunities, uh, something that you could grow. Uh, your business start. And this was an emerging piece. And, and it's this special time where the, the federal laws are different than the state laws. And there's not a lot of people that are willing to take that risk. It's no banking. So you have to have your own capital. You can't take a loan. <laughs> Is that right? In that, Michigan, that's that, the... That's anywhere. Anywhere, okay. The banks will not fund you. Gotcha. So you have to have interesting ways to have your own capital part of that would be having a, success, a successful business otherwise and ha and having a little bit of a, a a nest egg to to invest uh, and you have to have some operating chops there were a lot of people in this business that were fans of the product that were not very good at running a business and then there were other people in it that thought they were going to get in and get out and and sell out quickly and didn't have any business in running their business they just wanted to build it for sale. And so we found this very interesting opportunity where if you had a little courage, a little operating chops and a little capital, you could build a business really quickly and be successful. And so our bet was that it's not if, it's when the federal government will eventually change their mind and now the, the discussions are happening where cannabis potentially is going to get rescheduled from a class one controlled substance to a class three. The Safe Banking Act is back on the table and gaining traction. Uh, the, the momentum is building federally. And when that happens, we'll have our business foundation built and we won't have to start from scratch. And we will have our ability to sort of wade through those waters confidently and and continue to build our next family if you will <laughs> so this isn't a hobby i mean you are like no. you say you're laying the foundation yeah for a business environment that will accept this across the country we currently have 160 employees in michigan just in the cannabis business and that's in three years we've done that and and we're potentially gonna have if all things go according to plan would have over 400 employees by the end of the year. This year? <laughs> this year. Wow. So where, where does that growth come from? Well, it could be a, a acquisition on the table, potentially. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> and there's, there's, there's obviously the new licenses we've acquired that are going to continue to get fired up. So we're continuing to spend our, our time uh, in that space. Uh, it's a thriving business. And man, is it a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. I've never seen a happier consumer base in my life. <laughs> oh, I took the, you know, and this is just the way I, ha I am as an operator. I took the opportunity to work in the stores for several days on the floor with a tablet in my hand, 
checking people out, walking them through the process. And this was in Muskegon, Michigan, which was our first uh, retail store up there. And we've encountered so many different kinds of people that came in for so many different reasons that just couldn't have been any happier to be there. And when you've worked in wireless retail your whole life where people kind of dread it, just to be honest, like they don't come in expecting to drop a thousand dollars and be really happy about it. <laughs> They're like, oh, I have to do this crap. You know, people coming in to buy cannabis is a different experience. It's faster, they're happier, and, you know, it just, it's been a lot of fun to be around that. How many retail locations are there in Michigan right now for you? For us, there's only six. Uh, by the end of the year, we'll have a minimum of at least three more, potentially up to 15 more. Okay. There are other states where you can sell marijuana. Have you been looking at doing this in other states we have um you know i i'm at a point in my career where i don't necessarily want to get too far away from home um you know i've got family and and i don't want to travel as much as i did when i was building the wireless company so being a little closer to home is important to me um, you know we're hopeful that we'll get to do this in indiana one day uh, but we've looked into illinois we've looked into Ohio. We've looked into now Kentucky. Uh, we're sort of surrounded by it. Um, you know, th th those business opportunities will come sooner or later. Um, my plan is no different than it has been in any other business is keep my head down, do the right thing, do what I say I'm going to do and uh, build a big family where people want to come to work. I know that you've been active in trying to change minds in the legislature, Indiana legislature, to make some sort of you know program of of uh, legalized cannabis uh can you give me a sense of, of what you have been doing uh well we're at this point i i think the best thing that we've been trying to do is just have the conversation uh we've come up a little short um we've had a couple of summer studies one last summer which our team was able to to testify on and uh, there's another summer study that will culminate towards the end of this year where our team will again come and testify and and share our opinions. We've been meeting with as many of the legislators that will meet with us and try to understand what the pros and cons are in their in their eyes and try and give them what we see. Um, you know, that's all that's the best we can do. You know, I, I don't control their opinion, but I have my own set of facts and circumstances that I hope to introduce them to. I've had a lot of people uh, from here that have been willing to come up and visit our location. Uh, once they see it in practice, I think their expectation is uh, a bunch of hippies listening to Bob Marley around buckets of dirt and watching plants grow. And it's a, it's a very much industrial uh, production facility with extreme cleanliness and because the testing standards are very rigorous and, and they don't understand the effort and the capital that goes into building one of these facilities. It's very much uh, a plant, um, an industrial plant that grows plants <laughs> that turns into consumer packaged goods yeah. that has standards because our customers are putting this stuff in their body. And so we have to, to pass all the rigorous testing and it's, 
it's incredibly complicated. We have very smart people that work for us that make lots of money. So we reported uh, that last year, I think you spent close to $200,000 on lobbying. Does that sound about right? I'd say for Indiana. Yeah, for the state of Indiana. And, you know, that's part of part of the process. Yeah, that's the process. You know, yeah. That's the process. And it's I've tried to avoid politics um, for the most part. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, I've been in a business where Verizon has handled most of that for me. Uh, but this one's a little bit more personal and, and closer to home. And I think if we can do it the Hoosier way and control something that's already here and regulate something that is already here, even make a little money off of something that's already here as a state, we can do it right. Um, but sooner or later, if we don't act, it'll happen for us. And then we'll be behind the eight ball. So, you know, timing is everything. And uh, I hope we aren't going to be the last state to, to, to jump in. There's already 38 states, I believe, with a with an actual program and it's working for, for many of them. So I, I hope that we are able to come to some agreements uh, at some point. Uh, in terms of states outside of Michigan, do you have a sense of where you want to go next? No, um, we'll go wherever the opportunity uh, is present. You know, it's, it's a, it's a difficult process. There's licensing involved and mm. lots of paperwork. And yeah, I assume every state has a different dealing process. With, yeah. yeah. Every township has a different process in Michigan. It's, it's bizarre, but um, we're learning. Yeah, we're learning a lot, and uh, and have lots of great proposals to the state of Indiana on how to avoid the landmines that other states have stepped in. You know, we'd love to push the black market out of Indiana uh, to help the safety of our uh, population by pushing out laced products and all the illegal back alley dealings that happen and bring it into the light and, and have safe and tested product for everybody who's going to consume uh, and share education on how to consume, you know, safely. How much easier is it to open a, a, a cell phone store in Michigan than it is to open? Oh, <laughs> I get, cannabis open, retail I get open a hundred cell phone stores by the time I opened <laughs> one cannabis store. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I think the world's seen enough cell phone stores. So we're going to we're going to be patient in that industry. There's opportunities abound. Uh, we'll take them as they come. Uh, there's more opportunity in the cannabis industry right now. So that's where we've chosen to spend some of our time and, and, and effort and capital. Um, but it's, it'll be worth it. You know, we're playing a, a very long game. Yeah. It sounds know? like this is a long-term play. Julie and yeah. I are still got a lot of runway left. We're both pretty young and, and, and have a lot of experience in building big business and, and strong corporate culture. So we're excited to continue to thrive in that space. And hopefully one day we'll be a little closer to home. Wow. That would be interesting. <laughs> Well, thank you for taking so much time with us today. That's really fascinating. Thanks, Mason. It's been fun to try and tell our story. I just know it's not over yet. My thanks again to Scott Moorhead. And folks, before you get on with the rest of your week, there are a few stories in the latest issue of IBJ I want to draw to your attention. First up, the total eclipse that will be visible in central Indiana this April presents a huge opportunity for the area's tourism industry. 
Susan Orr details how big cities and small towns are trying to take advantage. Also in this week's issue, Peter Blanchard picks the brain of Vanessa Green Cinders, the first female president of the Indiana Chamber of Commerce in its 100-year history. And David Lindquist gets a read on the sudden reemergence of independent bookstores in Indianapolis. Again, you can find these stories in the latest print edition of IBJ or online at ibj.com. And thanks again for making time this week for the IBJ podcast. I'm Mason King. Hang in there, everybody. We'll be back again next week.